one control method, shoot to kill.
Hello, and you are listening to Mutiny Radio. Coming up soon will be Women's Magazine with Global Val, followed by the Common Thread Collective. Stay tuned.
Epilepsy is dancing, she's the Christ now departing, and I'm finding my rhythm as I twist in the snow. Oh, the metal burned in me, down the brain of my river, oh, the fire was searching for a waterway home. Welcome to Women's Magazine. This is Global Val here, mutinyradio.fm in San Francisco. Thank you for joining me on this Friday afternoon, or whenever you may be listening to this podcast, but it is December 16th, 2016, and I'm coming on live at 2.22 p.m. according to uh, to my clock here. Um, but wherever you may be, time does seem rather arbitrary, except for the fact that uh, real life is happening all around us, and I've been reflecting a bit on this past year here at Mutiny Radio and uh, I'm probably going to do one more show this this year next next Friday the 23rd but um, I was looking back at some of the topics that we've been discussing on this particular program uh, not not to mention the common thread collective which has been you know expansive um, but we'll talk more about that later um, but a, a lot of what I've been focusing on this week, or pardon me, this year in 2016, um, are you know the, the the rights and the violations of rights of uh, not just women but people around the world. Um, the Syrian crisis, the the war in Syria. Uh, there's been a, a a huge attack on Aleppo. Uh, people are trying to get out of this quadrant of the city that's been under fire. Um, 
men, women, and children. Uh, eva- huge evacuation processes have been slowly getting these people out of this war zone, um, which has gripped uh, the country of Syria for the past few years. And we see this huge migration of of people coming out of not only Syria, but other countries that are just not safe to be in anymore. Um, under, you know, direct uh, and nearly inevitable threat from of, uh, of attack. And it, it's, it's such, it's such a, a, a heart wrenching uh, reality. I was, I uh, saw a small video this morning and it was an, Uh, a young girl from Syria, 10 years old, uh, who's been in an orphanage for two years because her parents were killed by, uh, by bombings two years ago. And she's in an orphanage with 47 other young children. And, uh, the, the plea was, you know, come and get us out of Aleppo. Um, we, we just want to live. We just want to live like the rest of the world. And, um, uh, I, just kind of broke down and started bawling. It was, it was, it's just so real. It's so, you know, to think that this is happening right now. Um, and that it seems like the global response has been insufficient to say the least in terms of trying to, uh, stop what's going on there. And, um, it's been a pretty heavy year. <laughs> I mean, taking this right, right up to, right up to now, and you know, the electoral college is meeting on Monday uh, in states across the United States to cast their vote for president, um, and uh, the majority of those electors are supposed to vote for you know who, and it's just really an insane type of situation. Uh, you know, a lot of people are just kind of waiting. It's like, pinch me, you know, wake me up. Um, however, um, with these realities that we face, um, I, I have found that people are more awake, even if they're worried or uh, fearful or whatever, whatever kind of emotions they may be going through. I feel like a lot of people have become more awakened uh, at, at this point in time, uh, more active. And, uh, and I think we're going to see that, uh, grow. So I, I'm, I'm pleased and, and, uh, you know, um, kind of filled with, uh, you know, fi- well, Diamond Dave's trying to feed me words out there while I'm trying to talk. Um, <laughs> it's women's magazine, Dave. I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, but let let me do my show. Um, anyhow, this is live radio here, Mutiny Radio. I do it every Friday, so part pardon me for being a little testy uh, for the interruption. Um, but what I was trying to say was, <laughs> I do believe in humanity. Uh, I do believe in the goodness of people. I do believe that um, with a vocal uh, and concerted effort, uh, we are going to uh, tip the scales in a better direction. Um, I think we can fill that glass and, and uh, to be half full and kind of start bubbling up that consciousness um, through our actions, through our intentions. Um, but I'll, I'll do more 
reflection of 2016 um, a little bit later and a a bit more next week on Friday the 23rd. Um, But um, with all of the controversy um, surrounding this election, surrounding this impending uh, electoral vote um, and inauguration, supposedly coming up in January and a lot of people just don't want to believe it's actually going to happen. Um, but it's a very, uh, testing time for everyone. And, uh, you know, we, we, we see is there's, has been, there's actually, there's been a phrase, um, kind of rolling around in my head recently and it is called, and it's a conflict of interest. And so as, as a poet, I wanted to write a piece called conflict of interest. So here it goes. Peace and war, water and oil, terra and borders, equality and superiority, community and individuality, harmony and bigotry, solidarity or violence, all apparently cause a conflict of interest. Necessity or greed, need or want, one for all or all for just one. Battle of the bands when all we need is music, sweet music and peace, clean water and freedom, eco-logic, not extraction for profit, common benefit, not private investment, warmth and acceptance, not the coldness of ignorance, open minds rather than closed doors.
listening to Women's Magazine here on MutinyRadio.fm. I'm Global Val. Thanks for joining me today in this winter season. Um, And we want to send our love out to everyone who is, uh, well, around the planet. Um, You know, the planet has been uh, going through a lot of its own uh, crises, environmentally and otherwise. Um, The Mother Earth uh, certainly needs us, and everybody who has uh, taken to 
collective action and individual action to stand up for the rights of nature. Uh, I want to send out a lot of love and huge respects for especially all our brothers and sisters out in North Dakota, uh, standing at the Standing Rock with the Standing Rock of the Standing Rock Sioux people, uh, standing up to and against the Dakota Access Pipeline uh, that was uh, rudely rerouted to go uh just a mile north of the Sioux, uh, uh, Standing Rock Sioux Reservation, uh, which gets all of its river, uh, all of its water from from the river there, um, and the energy transfer partners who wanted who wanted to drill and and lay a pipe uh, for 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 fracked oil to be transported, to lay that underneath the Missouri River. I mean, if if you if you've taken fifth grade science class, uh, you understand that there is a water table of water that runs underground even when you don't see it. Um, and if we think about the the largesse of the Missouri River itself um, and trying to drill to lay pipes underneath it, um, a huge seemingly ridiculous uh, like uh, an endeavor to do so underneath the river and then even if you go underneath the river you're gonna you're gonna get to a water table as well it's all gonna you know it's it's just illogical um, and so obviously there are uh, you know people uh, on this planet right now who feel like extracting um, fossil fuels and then uh, transporting them in dangerous methods is you know like a good thing to do because they're going to make money off of it so um i i just want to send all my love uh, out to the folks who are still at standing rock camp let's not let's let's keep uh our love uh with them our eyes on them um our hands are outreach to them uh because they're not moving because they see they know the pattern of history uh even with this reprieve of the u.s army corps of engineer denying the, the easement to energy transfer partners um to go under the Missouri River at that particular point. It's really only so that they can do a more thorough environmental review, which, you know, doesn't necessarily have a guarantee of, uh, of maintaining that. Uh, and, and the, and that, that company has, you know, they've completed the majority, vast majority of that pipeline. And, and of course their, their interest is, uh, you know, in profiting and, uh, not losing. And I say, you got to lose sometimes. Um, and I wanted to, uh, I was reading an article in the nature conservancy, uh, magazine, uh, from October, November of this year. And, uh, and there is, um, a, I think a, a very in, insightful, uh, article by, um, Lynn Scarlett, who is the global managing director for, uh, for public policy at the Nature Conservancy? Um, she was previously the deputy secretary and chief operating officer in the U.S. Department of the Interior. Um, she also established the Ocean and Coastal Activities Office to coordinate cross-departmental work in marine environments. Um, she also chaired the nation's Wildland Fire Leadership Council. Um, so Lynn Scarlett, and uh, she wrote an article in Nature Conservancy called Climate Solutions for the 21st Century, Creating Low-Carbon Economies may be one of the most difficult tasks humanity has ever tackled, but the benefits of success will be profound. Lynn Scarlett says, 
And I'm going to read some excerpts from this article. Uh, A decade ago, when I convened and chaired the U.S. Interior Department's Climate Change Task Force, we talked about global impacts with the help of models and projections. Today, we don't need to talk about projections. We can see changes that are happening right now. The ice sheet covering Greenland is melting faster than snowfall can replace it. The summer temperatures in Delhi, India, get hot enough to melt asphalt. And the United States has begun resettling climate refugees from an island in Louisiana being overtaken by the sea. Climate change presents grave challenges to communities, economies, and ecosystems. But at last, the world is addressing climate change head on. During the Paris climate talks in December, 195 countries, some 700 cities, and many companies committed to cut down on greenhouse gas emissions in order to limit global warming over the next century to well below 2 degrees Celsius. It was a thrilling moment, a highlight for me since I joined the Nature Conservancy in 2013 as the Managing Director for Public Policy. Globally, many leaders now recognize that the costs of limiting emissions and adapting to climate change will be far less than the price of doing nothing. Translating their commitments into action presents opportunities to reimagine the future of transportation systems, cities, energy systems, and the management of lands, waters, coasts, and even oceans. These actions can stabilize the climate and bring about cleaner air, more reliable energy, more healthful workplaces, and more sustainable land use. Yet, the challenge of achieving these transformations is formidable. Current public and private sector commitments don't get us nearly far enough toward a truly low-carbon future. Most countries still don't treat greenhouse gas emissions as pollution, so carbon-emitting fuels remain in high demand. And many places around the globe still have little or no access to energy, driving countries to pursue energy supplies regardless of the effect on climate. Transforming cities and transportation systems means rethinking building materials, fuels, and even city design. And changing land use practices involves entire supply chains, from farm to supermarket, from forest to factory. Such changes require new information. What practices bring what results? They also require major research and development investments, and they are going to require smart public policies like pricing greenhouse gas pollution so that decisions of governments, companies, and citizens fairly reflect the costs of this pollution. Conservation has a central role to play in meeting the climate change challenge. Conservancy scientists have shown that natural systems are an essential piece of the puzzle when it comes to slowing global warming. The hundreds of millions of acres of land the the Nature Conservancy has helped protect so far for the sake of biodiversity and conservation already store huge amounts of carbon and absorb vast amounts of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Our scientists estimate that the world's nations can achieve about one-third of their carbon reduction goals by halting the destruction of forests, grasslands, and other ecosystems, and by restoring degraded lands to boost their capacity to store carbon. In fact, we simply cannot get to a world of net zero carbon emissions without bringing conservation into the picture. But conserving and restoring lands and coastal systems cannot be our only strategy. Here in the United States, our goal as conservationists is to champion creative solutions to the climate challenge while ensuring that the path we're choosing will be sustainable in the long term. We've already seen how the renewable energy industry can provide new job opportunities and give give consumers wider energy choices. Back in 1977, every watt produced by solar panels cost about $76. Today, that same watt costs less than 76 cents.
In towns across the desert southwest, it's hard to spot a new housing subdivision without an array of solar panels gleaming in the sun. Although renewables are growing fast, they still represent a small fraction of energy supply in the United States and elsewhere. In California, the Conservancy was involved in charting the path to expand their use, helping inform the rules for renewable energy targets and develop a trading market for carbon credits. At the same time, we're working closely with energy companies, state governments, and federal agencies around the nation to ensure that new utility-scale energy developments, sites for wind and solar power, are located in areas where they can be most effective and not threaten sensitive lands and vulnerable species nearby. The Conservancy's team in the Mojave Desert, for instance, mapped potential solar development sites in areas already affected by human activities, keeping unspoiled habitat intact and off-limits to protect threatened species such as the de desert tortoise. In places like Kansas's grasslands and upstate New York, we're helping utility site wind facilities to get maximum energy benefit while keeping them out of the critical pathways of migratory birds and bats. And we are bringing the same planning expertise to Latin America, China, Africa, and elsewhere. To shift, the shift to smarter, clean energy resources also takes some out-of-the-box thinking. <laughs> the, the Conservancy is financing practical science research through its NatureNet Science Fellows Program, which provides two-year grants and mentors to recent PhD graduates at leading universities. The program is helping people like scientist Horan Yang, who is producing nanocrystals to construct a material that can capture waste heat from industrial processes, and someday soon, help convert it back into usable electricity. Other breakthroughs include improvements in the biofuels field. For a long time, algae production has been studied for its potential to provide sustainable renewable energy, but current production inefficiencies have prevented its use. To address this issue, the NatureNet fellow working on the University of Pennsylvania and the NASA Ames Research Center in California is looking at how giant clams harvest energy from algae. Scientists are now working to mimic this process with technology that could revolutionize the use of renewable energy from algae biofuels. We need pioneering science, but we also need to move the needle on low carbon strategies. Through our 50 state strategy, each of the Conservancy's local chapters is advancing climate solutions that make sense in that state. In New York, we're working with the state to transform the energy grid into a smart grid that better integrates home solar and other renewables. In Connecticut, we're supporting a green bank that will finance the use of renewable energy technologies in building projects. We're also deploying grassroots approaches to climate threats, working closely with individual landowners. In Louisiana and Arkansas, we are helping farmers put trees back on marginal, unprofitable farmlands, thus mitigating flooding and absorbing more carbon dioxide. In Iowa, Ohio, Michigan, and other Midwestern states, we are collaborating with farmers to help reduce fertilizer use, a major source of greenhouse gas emissions, on millions of acres by using farming techniques that improve soil health and increase the amount of carbon the soil itself can store. Another critical job for conservation is to help protect communities and infrastructure from extreme temperatures, severe storms, and chronic droughts. Although we can slow climate change, we can't stop it completely. And this is where our nature-based strategies can help communities adapt to changing weather and climate conditions. 
In New York City, the Conservancy and its partners have analyzed the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy and developed a plan to use nature's solutions like oyster beds and marshes, in conjunction with built defenses such as seawalls to protect the city from the next major storm event. In Miami, which may be the most climate-threatened major coastal city in the United States, similar analyses are already underway. We've found that combining natural solutions with built infrastructure is often cheaper and more resilient than built infrastructure alone. Our mapping specialists have put together a website called coastalresilience.org that charts the expected effects of various storm and sea level rise scenarios. That information is being used by city planners and civil engineers along the Gulf Coast, the Eastern Seaboard, and the California and Pacific Northwest coastlines. Climate action brings dramatic benefits. Uh, indeed, the very survival of some communities is at stake. But all the necessary changes require major investments and new financial tools. One threat that cities face under climate change is an increase in pollutant-loaded stormwater flowing into their waterways. In Washington, D.C., we brought together partners and identified investors and experiment that will use green infrastructure like rain gardens and permeable surfaces to allow more water to be absorbed and cleansed by the soil. In the Seychelles Islands off the eastern coast of Africa, we helped create a debt agreement that gives the government the financial wherewithal to preserve the mangroves and corals that help safeguard citizens from the worst effects of climate change. We already know the economic consequences of doing nothing to prepare for climate change. Billions of dollars of coastal real estate could be lost to the sea. Farms and fisheries will suffer from changing weather patterns, and outdoor workers will be unable to labor under the searing sun. Citigroup has reported that failing to act could cost the global GDP about $44 trillion by the year 2060. But if we do act decisively, in the United States alone, clean energy and transportation policies could save us some $250 billion per year simply by reducing the number of premature deaths and healthcare costs associated with air pollution. Beyond reducing long-term costs, taking action to address climate change brings economic opportunities. One estimate pegged the value of the global market for low-carbon goods and services at $5.5 trillion in the 12-month period spanning 2011 to 2012. The Nature Conservancy is helping to address climate challenges using all the tools and expertise at our disposal. If the United States and the rest of the world sees this opportunity to change how we power businesses, feed our people, and use our resources, the benefits will be profound. Our air will be cleaner. Our cities will be greener. And our economies will be more durable. In the 21st century, those who are passionate about conservation cannot be focused on looking backward at what they've lost or what we've lost. Instead, we need to be looking forward, focused on what humanity and Earth can gain. And that was from Lynn Scarlett of the Nature Conservancy, the Global Managing Director of, for Public Policy. So thank you, Lynn Scarlett, for putting some things in perspective and letting us know what is working and what uh, we can look towards uh, for, for the future. 
and the things that would be smart to invest in. Uh, that is in our collective future. I'm Global Val, and I'm really pleased to be here at Mutiny Radio this Friday, December 16th, 2016. It's been a wild year. And uh, I want to announce, though, I'm very excited. Um, I just put this together yesterday. Um, you know, coming up in January, uh, across the nation, there's going to be marches uh, all surrounding the presidential inauguration, um, which is the 20th, Friday the 20th, but then um, marches around the country, uh, women's marches uh, led by women around the country on Saturday, January 21st. Um, so, you know, look around, there's going to be actions in the Bay Area, uh, Washington, D.C. Um, it's kind of a interesting situation. There are a lot of there's been a lot of back and forth about trying to get permits for these for the marches in Washington, D.C. Um, I, I don't have all the details about that, but definitely pay attention to what's going on over there. Uh, try to tune in and, and find out because um, apparently there's been uh, a lot of roadblocks put up to the permitting process. Um, and certainly uh, one of the reasons people would be marching on the 21st against this incoming <laughs> shit show of an administration, uh, is, uh, to defend the first amendment. Um, because obviously the so-called president elect, uh, does not support the first amendment, does not support the right to peaceably assemble to, uh, you know, get a, a, to address government, um, with grievances. Um, he obviously doesn't believe in free speech, um, you know, he obviously speaks freely himself, but, uh, you know, he doesn't like it when people say things that, that, that he doesn't like about him. Um, he doesn't support freedom of the press for the same reason. Uh, he doesn't like to be criticized. Well, you know what, dude, you just applied and got the worst job in the world for being criticized because you're just going to be hounded the whole time. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and apparently he doesn't believe in freedom of religion because he's been demonizing, um, uh, is, you know, people of the Islamic faith um, and all of his crazy cronies uh, like uh, Rudy Giuliani uh, <laughs> have been waging this, this war of ugliness um, against people who are, you know, just people. Which is kind of why I played the uh, the Us and Them Pink Floyd song earlier. Um, but so to my to to my point, and then I'm gonna and then I'm gonna get out of here. I wanted to invite everybody down to Mutiny Radio on Saturday, January 21st, from 8 to 10 p.m. I'm gonna be hosting a special event, and it's gonna be called the Anti-Inaugural Poets Ball. It is free to attend. However, uh, we will be asking for donations. Uh, all, any donations that you make will be shared between Mutiny Radio, which is our community-based free, uh, free speech internet radio station here in San Francisco. Um, and then the other half of the proceeds of any donations will be going to help fund the 12th annual Poems Under the Dome, which celebrates National Poetry Month inside San Francisco City Hall. And that will be coming up April 27th. So I do invite you to come down 
to uh, Mutiny Radio. We're at the corner of 21st and Florida. That's 2781 21st Street on Saturday, January 21st from 8 to 10 p.m. for that very special event. Um, we're going to have a lot of poets in here. Uh, I'm going to make a get a few people on, on the list to, to read, but uh, we'll hopefully have enough time as well to make it uh, part of an open mic as well. Um, so come on down, poke some fun, poke some holes in, um, in what's to come and exercise free speech. And that's what we're all about here at Mutiny Radio. Uh, and peace and love, that's what we're all about here on the Common Thread Collective and, and Women's Magazine. Of course, Common Thread Collective is coming up next, starting at 3 o'clock. Um, but I want to thank you all for all of your good work and attention this year um, and every year. And uh, going forward, we're just going to keep uh, doing what we do. And just remember, just when your aspirations seem outrageous which could simply just look like making the world a better place. Just remember that inspiration is contagious. Peace and thank you. And here's our sister Sea Star with the prayer of St. Francis. Sadness. 